Amen. So I'm also um, stepping out here in faith this morning because I've had the flu all week and um, so I'm sorry about my voice but we'll push past that and hear what God has to say because what this passage ends with is says the spirit is speaking, listen to what he is saying. So this morning I'm really asking you to, to try and really look past and hear, look past me, hear what the spirit of God is saying to you this morning. Now, if I was to ask you a question, I'm not going to because I know what the answer will be. But if I was asked you to ask you the question, who likes getting mail, then there'd be two answers. One would be, well, depends on who it comes from and depends what's in it. And, uh, you know, if it's a bill and you've got to pay a lot of money, then perhaps, no, I don't really like getting mail. But if it's from someone that you really admire and, and like and, and you think, oh, this is great to hear from them, and then um, you read the message and it's a really encouraging message, then you go away thinking, that was great getting that. It's like when an SMS came through. Shane and Charlotte are, are good friends of ours from a long time ago and... Um, and uh, when I see an SMS come through from them, I'm just excited and read it and, and feel uplifted because they're great friends and it's always great to touch base with people. And so it you know, depends on who's writing it and what's in the letter. And so we've had these letters to the churches and we're up to number six. And uh, the letter today, I think the people would have really loved receiving this letter. It was written by someone whom they loved, and what was in it was great encouragement. And so that's good, isn't it? And so we're going to look to this letter today because I think what the Spirit is saying to us is he wants to encourage us today. And so let's look to Revelation chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. The message to the church in Philadelphia. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Dear God, we come to you this morning and we want to hear what you are saying to our hearts. Help us to put aside any worries or concerns and just open our ears to hear what you are saying to us. Because we are the church and you are speaking to us this morning, Lord. So I pray that your spirit will speak 
into each of our hearts this morning through your word. We know you want to. We know that you will. We just have to listen. And so, God, help us to listen this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, if we remember, if we look at the map that um, Jess put up a couple of weeks ago about the... um, the cities that we were, we've been studying, and we started with Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and now Philadelphia. It was sort of on a trade route. And it's interesting to learn a little bit about this city. And in researching this, I was just very interested in how this message applies to a lot about where these people were situated. So Philadelphia was a city that was very strategically placed. It wasn't a city that just sprang up haphazardly. It was a city that was planned. And it was planned on the intersection of the border of three countries, Lydia, Mysia, and Phrygia. And these three countries were countries that were, had barbaric tribes in them. So the Greeks put this city there strategically so that they might be bring the Greek culture into these other countries. And it actually worked. By 19 AD, Lydia totally had abandoned their language and their culture and had adopted the Greek way of life and culture. Not only this, it was strategically placed next to a plain. And this plain had had a lot of volcanic activity on it. So having volcanoes, we know from this week in Bali, can be good and bad. If you're trying to get there, Meg still here this morning, was supposed to be in Bali. That's not good. If you're there and you're trying to, trying to get home, but hey, you're going to have a longer holiday, that's good. And so um, we've got some teachers that sent me a message due back to school this week and said, sorry, we're stuck in Bali, can't get home until at least the middle of next week. So I said, oh, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but uh, see what you can do. Anyway, and so... Um, this volcanic activity had benefits. The benefit was that it, it, it you know, there was a lot of volcanic ash, so there was very good soil. And this became a very good agricultural area. It grew grapes, and those grapes produced wine. And so it became known as a wine-producing area. But the negative about it was that the city suffered a lot of aftershocks and tremors. And for a long time, for many years, I think Christchurch would understand what this is like. And so the people became very nervous about living in the city. And so what they would do, they would actually build their homes outside of the city and commute in to work so that, you know, if a tremor began, they could quickly, quickly race out of the city because, you know, the walls would come down and, and people were in, in danger. The other thing about this city is that it always changed its name. It started off as Philadelphia, but after the earthquake, the uh, emperor sent them a lot of money to help rebuild the city, and so they were really grateful for that. So they thought, oh, let's change the name of the city to Neo-Caesarea, which means New Caesar. And uh, so they did that, but after a while, the people sort of thought, oh, no, we don't like that that much. Let's go back to Philadelphia. And then a little while later, another emperor came along and um, you know, he was generous towards the city, so they thought, oh, let's name the city Flavia. And uh, so they did, but then that didn't last either, and so eventually it went back to Philadelphia. So this um, city had an identity crisis. They had this constant changing of names. But in this strategically placed, earthquake-ridden, name-changing city, there was a small church. And it was a faithful church. 
Despite its size, it was a great church. And in fact, it's the only church other than Smyrna that when they received this letter, there was no condemnation. There was no criticism. Our Lord only had praise for this church. And I think if we look at why was that, then we will see how God will look on us and be pleased with us. It's interesting that for us to really value a letter or to value a message in a letter, it depends on who writes the letter, doesn't it? And so we need to look at who is writing this letter. And the Lord doesn't introduce himself by his name. He introduces himself by describing his character. And it says that he is holy and true. Holy. Of course, there is none other than God who is holy. And even throughout the Bible, there's repeated references to the holiness of God. We see people, as soon as they came face to face with God, they would fall to their knees in, in, in awe of the holiness of God. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, Isaiah says, holy, holy, holy. He comes face to face with God and his response to that is, God, you are holy, holy, holy. There was, I mean, there was nowhere else in the Bible where it says that it doesn't say God is love, 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 or God is wrath, wrath, wrath. This, just throughout the scriptures, though, we see this holiness of God being repeated. He is blameless. He is sinless. He is pure. And these people recognize this, this one writing to them is holy. Even in the New Testament, we see where people recognize the holiness of God. In Mark 1, verse 24, Jesus is in the synagogue in Capernaum. And uh, he's preaching to the people there and a man, a demon-possessed man comes in. And when he comes face to face with this demon-possessed man, this is what he says. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, even the demons know he is holy. And then it says that he is true. The word for that is alethenos, which carries the meaning of being genuine or authentic. And so what they're saying is, Jesus is saying, what I write to you is true. You can be sure I am trustworthy. I place a premium on truth. And I'm looking at you and I'm seeing who you are. And as someone who places a premium on truth, I commend you. I encourage you for how you know for how you are being as the church in Philadelphia. And you know what this says to me, God who is holy and true, who probably we couldn't even look upon because of how holy he is and how true he is. He can look down on the church on us a human church with human people and we can be regarded by him Not as sinless, but as faithful. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for faithfulness. It then goes on to say that he holds the key of David that opens and shuts doors. Now to understand this particular key, you need to go back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah 22.22. And in that passage, it refers to a servant of David, He's like the chief of the staff of a country, you know, next to the prime minister or to the president. 
And it says that he holds the key of the house of David. That meant that he controlled access to the king. No one could get to the king except through him. He had the access and the authority to deny people entrance or to give them entrance to the king. And so this is a picture, it's like a prophetic picture of what Jesus would be. Jesus holds the key, it says here, he holds the key of David. That means that he is the one who has the authority and the access to open doors that no one can shut and shut doors that no one can open. He holds the key of access and authority for all of life. And you know, Jesus is reminding, by saying this to the, to the church, he's reminding them and he's reminding us, because I'm holy, I was able to win the victory for you. My promises are true. I am trustworthy and I hold the key. Satan does not hold the key. He doesn't have authority. He doesn't have access. So don't be afraid. I've opened a door for you that can never be shut. No person or circumstance can shut that door. I think that's a great encouragement for us. Excuse me for a moment. That means that if we know Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord, he holds the key that opens the door to life for us. And he is true. That means he can be totally relied upon. He is trustworthy. And so we can depend on him for our life. So here we have this little church in this city. And God's saying to him, I'm opening a door to you. And I want to look at the three reasons why God opened this door of opportunity to them. Because I think this will help us to understand what God's looking for in a church, in us being the church. The first thing he said was that they had little strength. He said, I know all the things you do, do and I have opened a door that no one can close. And it goes on in, um, I'll just have to go back to the, here. Sorry. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Now you could think, well surely having little strength, that's not really a commendation. But actually it is, and I'll explain to you why. He's commending them because they have little strength. What that means is that they recognise that they can't do it in their own strength. They recognise they haven't got what it takes. They are too weak to be able to do. But God in them, his strength in them, because they listened to his word and obeyed him, they knew how great God was and what God could do in them if they allowed him. But they had to recognise they couldn't do it. And you know, if we're in the midst of difficulties and challenges and we face them all the time and you feel stuck then the only way to get out is to recognize that you can't do it yourself but too often we succumb to the enemy's lie 
We look at our circumstances and they seem overwhelming and we think, God doesn't care about us. Where is he? What's he doing? And so because we can't really see what he's doing right now, we think we better do something. And so we start trying to put our plan into action. And before we know it, we've, we've totally succumbed to the lie of the enemy, saying that you are alone. God's not with you. He's not true to his promises that he said he'll never leave you or forsake you. Where is he now in the midst of this hurt, in the midst of this difficulty? And so we succumb to that. And we rely on ourselves to try and get ourselves through. But how well do we do at that? And Christ is, God is saying to this church, I recognize that you don't do that. You don't try and do it by yourself. You see that you can't. And so you need me in every circumstance. Their hope is not in their power. Their hope is in their enormous Christ. Their faith is not based on who they are. It's based on who he is. And, you know, if our faith is not based on who he is, we will struggle. Our faith will, will, will really, um, we will find it difficult to keep going forward and trusting God. We have to totally look at who he is. And that will enable us to stay strong. Because God says to us, it's not by might. It's not by our power, but it's by his spirit. And who's saying that? The Lord of heaven's armies. Imagine that. The Lord of heaven's armies. And he's saying to you, you don't need to do it by yourself. It's not your strength that's going to get you through. It's my spirit, the power of my spirit. If we look at Paul in the New Testament, he recognizes this. Now he's a great apostle of God and he a follower and we look at him and we we're in awe of who he is you know much of the New Testament is written by Paul and yet listen to what he says about himself first of all in 1 Corinthians 15 9 this is at the beginning of his journey he said I am the least of the apostles he recognizes in that out of all the leaders he's probably the weakest of them all he's the least of them As he goes on his journey a bit more, in Ephesians 3, verse 8, he says, I'm the least deserving of all God's people. So of everybody, of everybody, he's seeing himself as the weakest, as the least deserving. And then he goes on further, and in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, I am the worst of all sinners. You see, the further he goes on his journey, the more he realizes how much he needs God. The more he goes on, he realizes just how weak he is and how strong God is and how much he needs God's strength. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our weakness, our, our recognition that we can't do it, that we need him, that is what's going to give room for God to show his strength. We sing the song, Cornerstone. We say, Christ alone, Cornerstone. 
And it's only when we make him the cornerstone of our life, only when we realize that we can't build our life on anything else, anything else will be shaky, anything else will fall away. But if we build our life on Christ as the cornerstone, then we will stand strong. The song says, weak made strong by the Savior's love. And let me encourage you this morning, recognize how great he is. Don't try and put your own plans into action first. Don't try and find the solution first. Go to him first. Say to God, I don't know. I can't do this. You're going to do this better than me. You've got a better plan. I'm in the midst of of sadness and loss. God, I can't walk this road. But you can. You can carry me on this road. I'm struggling with health. But God, you are my healer. That's what your word says, you will heal me. And so we keep trusting God, relying on the one who is holy and true, the one who holds the key to open doors that no man or circumstance can shut. And so he commends them for having little strength. But he also commends them for holding to the word of God. He said, you've kept the word. You've held fast to the truth. Now, you can't hold fast to the truth unless you know what the truth is, can you? So we can't hold fast to the truth in God's word unless we read the word and know what it says. And then as we read it and know what God says to us, then we can hold fast to that. If we haven't heard about what God says about how we can handle certain situations from his word then how are we going to know that he can be relied upon for that? So we go to the word, we hold fast to that. God says, that's what I commend. People who realize they can't do it themselves and hold fast to the truth. And the third thing is they don't waver. Why don't they waver? Because they have hope. They didn't see their lives through the lens of their circumstances. They saw their lives through the lens of Jesus Christ, their king, the overcomer, the one who loved them absolutely. That's how they saw their life. I was reading an article by a psychologist called The Power of Hope. I thought this was really interesting. I'll just share a bit with you. If I could find a way to package and dispense hope, I would have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. Hope is often the only thing between man and the abyss. As long as a patient, individual or victim has hope, they can recover from anything and everything. However, if they lose hope, unless you can help them get it back, all is lost. One thing I can tell you is that hope is an emotion that springs from the heart, not the brain. Hope lays dormant until its amazing strength is beckoned supplying a sheer belief that you will overcome, you'll persevere, and you will endure anything and everything that comes your way. And this church at Philadelphia had hope. They were holding on to the one who is holy and true, who holds the key that opens the door no one can shut. They weren't holding on to their own ability because that would just let them down. They weren't holding on to their circumstances because they would get messed up eventually. But they were holding on to God and him alone. 
So if hope is to have any power, then you have to make sure that your hope is not misplaced. Placing hope in people is dangerous because people can, you know, come and go. People can disappoint you. And then suddenly, where's my hope now? Placing hope in money can be good while the money's there. And if it lasts, maybe. But I see so many people who do that and yet they seem so disappointed with life. Money's good for a while, but it's not enough. It's not going to last you. It's not going to be enduring for your, to put your hope in it. But these Philadelphian Christians knew Christ was their hope. And they knew it. How did they know it? Through the word. They knew it through their personal relationship with the one who is holy and true. And nothing could shake them. Unlike their shaky city. They lived in a place where people were fearful of the shakiness of the city, but they stood firm. Nothing could shake them. They knew that Jesus absolutely loved them and that, and that they mattered to him. And of course, that was so important to them. And Jesus thanks them for trusting him. He thanks them and commends them for patiently enduring and being faithful. You know, sometimes you can be involved in church and you can do things and you can, you know, get busy and, and look, we do need people to serve in church. That's really, really important, isn't it? How does the church operate unless we have people to serve? But sometimes you can feel that, you know, you're out the back preparing the morning tea or you're, you know, in the cold trying to welcome cars in or you're sort of, you know, out organising stuff and you think, look, does anyone notice anything, everything I do? You know, is, is it important? Does it really matter? Is it for nothing? Is it just sort of to make other people happy? You know, Jesus says to you this morning, I notice you. I notice your faithfulness. I notice you loving me and serving me in that way. And it doesn't matter what other people do, but I notice and I love you. I'm crazy about you, Jesus says. And I know your faithfulness. The fact that you don't waver makes, means so much to me and it makes all the difference to the kingdom. And you know, God strategically places us to walk through open doors. But I believe it'll only be if we have these qualities of faithfulness that he's showed us in this church, that we realise we've got little strength and we need his, his strength. That we need his word to give us strength and power every day, his promises to hold fast to. And finally, I want to just go through the last few verses because these are encouragements to you. He said, because you have been faithful, these are the promises that I want to leave with you. Look from chapter 3, verse 9. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. This is God's first promise for this faithful church. He says, your enemies will be humbled. Your circumstances will be subdued. 
So if you're facing, and he said, this is not just to the church at Philadelphia, because he says, if you have ears, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. And we are the church. The Spirit is speaking to us. He's saying, your circumstances will be subdued. Your enemies will be humbled. He then goes on to say, Because you have obeyed my commands to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. His second promise is to protect us. To those who are faithful, to those who endure because they trust him and are obedient to him, he will protect us. Going to verse 12. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. Now remember this city was a shaky city. And you know, often one of the quakes would leave many walls down and just the pillars standing. And even to this day, if you go back to this city from the first century AD, it's, there are the pillars, nothing stands but the pillars. Pillars are synonymous with strength and permanence. And Jesus is promising them, there might be stuff going wrong that's shaking you and that's, that's making life seem like, I can't do this. But these pillars stood and he's saying, I am your strength. You will stand. I will strengthen you. God will not be shaken. And if we are with him, we will not be shaken. Finally, Jesus says, I will give you a new name. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Remember, Philadelphia had been named and renamed. And in this city with a bit of an identity crisis and changing names, God says, forget all that, I'm giving you a new name. That's your identity. That's who you are. And God gives us a new name. And so the things of our past, they're gone. The names of our past and what we were, they're no longer. We are now son of God, daughter of God because of Jesus. And that's our name. And nothing else defines us but that, just that. And so we need to hold on to that promise that we have a new name. And that new name is that we are a part of the family of God. And people can say to you this and they can say to you that, but that's not who you are. You know who you are. You are a son or a daughter of God. You hold to who you are in him. And don't let the enemy speak lies to you about who you are not because he is not speaking truth. So you can see this letter filled this church with great encouragement. And because they were faithful they went on to receive these incredible promises of God. So today I'm saying to each of us, I feel like God really said to me, Pam, you don't need to try and push through in yourself. You just rest in me. Rest in my spirit. Allow my spirit to do it through you. And that's when you're going to be able to walk through the open door. 
You're not going to get through the open door. You're not going to be able to push the door open yourself because he says the door is closed and no one can open it if it's shut. But he opens the door and he opens the door to those who are faithful to him, who depend upon him, who look to his word and trust his promises. Cling to those and don't waver. I encourage you in your walk with him to to keep looking to his word as your means of strength, to hold to that, not to waver from any of his promises. You know, there's many times when, when I can just declare the, the same promise over and over again just to keep speaking truth until that truth rings in my heart as a truth. Sometimes it can seem like words, but you know, the spirit of God, when you keep speaking the word of God, it will not return void. And his spirit will bring that alive in your heart, that promise. He will bring it alive and it will be truth for you. But we have to call upon him for that. Often we don't and we wonder why God's not there and he's saying, well, I'm here. I'm just waiting for you to call on me. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you that you will not be shaken, that it doesn't matter what happens around us, that you...